Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to episode 205 of Geek Town Radio. We're back this week with Daryl. How are you doing? Hey everybody, it's great to be back. <laughs> Good. So it's been a few weeks since you've been on and uh, we've had lots and lots of things happen over the uh, the last few weeks, but uh, what have you been up to? Not too much. Um, the first thing is this thing that popped out of nowhere, the society yes. on Netflix. Yeah. which is about a wealthy town, American town, of teenagers who go off on a trip to escape some strange smell in their town. And when they return, no one else is there. Yes. Their parents disappeared and they're basically left alone. And it's about 200 or so kids all around the same age, which seems to be like high school seniors. So yeah. 17 or 18. And immediately sounds like another Netflix show, which was called Between. Right. Which was about a town where a strange virus killed everybody over the age of 18. Oh, okay. Right on their 18th birthday. Right. Obviously, other than that, they're very different. Yeah. Um, society definitely has more of a fantasy, sci-fi-esque to the plot. Yeah. But it's a real drama. It's real tough. I've watched six episodes, I think, so I have two more left. It's realistic. Everything that the people there do, you can understand why they do it and you can see how they got there. Right. It's just really realistic and it's like one of the best dramas I've watched this year easily. It's really sucked me in. Yeah, I, I watched the first episode so far. I haven't had time to go back and watch the rest of it yet, but I did really enjoy that first episode. So I'm I'm glad you've got a positive I think, view I of think it. I it gets, think it gets better from there because, they, Good. because as the name suggests, it do turn to natural society. You see how the effect of being alone mm. and the acceptance of them being alone for at least a, the medium term starts to affect them. It stars Catherine Newton, yes. which you obviously know who that is because you're a huge Supernatural fan. Yes. And that is, of course, one of the Wayward Sisters. Yes. And she stars as Ali Pressman. And I think she's pretty much the most easily recognizable person in the cast. Yeah. Um, other than that, there's Grace Victoria Cox, who starred in Under the Dome, another show about a group of people who <laughs> yeah. get stuck inside a town. Yes. Yes. But that's based on a um, Stephen King novel. Um, but yeah. Definitely recommend checking yeah. it out. It's and it, yeah, it's ten episodes, and I think finished about seven. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, this is this is the thing we've we've talked about this the last few weeks. Is because uh, because Matt was watching it as well, and I like okay. I say, I've seen the first episode. It's, it's sort of a modern take on Lord of the Flies. Was the the way it was pitched 
that seems to be yeah where where sort of there are no adults around so they're having to figure out how to form a society mm-hmm. is essentially the sort of basis. I think it's of. I think it's well we slightly different because because of the age that they yeah. don't they tend to stay away from the immediately crazy ideas of something like yeah. that would do. Yeah, yeah. Like it would be a very different show if it was a group of fourteen year olds. Yeah, no, totally. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to uh, watching some more of that because it did look really good mm-hmm. and I've got some time coming up to be able to go and binge my way through some things so that will be one of the ones that's on my list of binging things ah excellent and other than that while that I was watching that I was also making my way through Lucifer yes um that returned after its move yes. um, to Netflix. I enjoyed that fourth season. I, I thought it was really good fun. They used their Netflix accessibility as an excuse to show off more of um, Tom's body, pretty much. Yeah, more of Tom's body. Heard a few swear words here yes. and there. Only lightly peppered. Yeah, um, it wasn't too gratuitous. It's, it's good. And I feel they they told a much tighter story than the previous three seasons yeah, did. Yeah, I, I think I, I said last week that I felt that whereas it was a bit longer to 22 episode season i felt it was a little shorter to 10 episode season i could have stood another few episodes just in between just to build a bit more plot building in between those major kind of arcs because it was like they took all the arc episodes and squashed them all all together into 10 episodes which is great and i have no problem with doing that because you're taking out all the filler but I, i could possibly have done just a couple more building episodes maybe 12 in there 12 13 possibly but it was a great series it really was a a good season i thoroughly enjoyed it though yeah it seems like it resolves yeah there isn't there isn't much reason for it to come back for um, season five i would be surprised if it does yeah i mean i would hope it does because i think it's great but it it does resolve fairly well and also i I just think sort of behind the scenes it seems weird for me to see why they would come back for season five right given who owns what yeah and and where things are moving yeah just generally tv and streaming wise it would seem a strange thing for them to go forward with another season after this yeah 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 no i i get yeah, I just, yeah, definitely told a much tighter story, very focused. Unfortunately, a lot less tricksy. This is a crying shame. I would recommend it. Definitely worth watching. Yeah. It's nice to see that sort of change, something changing network and it working so well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It does work as a shortened series. And I'm glad that they they wrote it to get to a conclusion point. That way, if it doesn't come back, it had a satisfying ending. If it does come back, then yay. But if it doesn't come back, it it has a reasonably satisfying conclusion, which is nice. Yep. And um, the last sort of show I've been watching is Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. Yes. Which is back for its new season. Yes. uh, Working its way through. Haven't got back to that yet. I'd the one which is on my binging list obviously it's over here it's on amazon prime in the u.s it's a hulu show and it's got very close ties with the runaways there's lots lots of um rumors about them having a crossover we'll have to see okay makes sense the show itself it's a very interesting three will take not like any other marvel show no any other comic show on tv that I've seen in the, in the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, talks a lot about social issues. It has a very unique storytelling style. Not as crazy as a Legion. Yes. It's still definitely non-linear. Yeah. At least Cloak and Dagger is fairly coherent, whether where the season two of Legion was not at all. Yes. So. But yeah, so there always should be a few more episodes left now. I would definitely recommend it. I hope it gets that renewal. Yeah. There's a fair chance that will get a renewal, I would have thought. So. I've, yeah feel like yeah. it's doing everything 
it can. Yeah, as I say, not got back to the second season yet, but it is another one on my binging list, so I will I will go to it at some point. I've also been watching uh, superhero stuff this week because, of course, Gotham came back, so. I've, oh. I've been starting Gotham again. The final season. With the final season. It's a shortened run, isn't it? It's only 10 episodes or something. It's final season. I think, so. I think it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I like what they're doing on there because it's using the No Man's Land story, which was a great arc in the comic books, which I oh, really okay. enjoyed. I mean, they've changed it, obviously, dramatically because in the comic books, obviously, it's set when you know Bruce is Batman and they're introducing you know all the characters established and stuff. But they've used the basic elements of it which is the fact that gotham is split into zones now so the police control one zone but then ivy has a zone and penguin has an area and you know so each of the gangs have sort of taken a particular part of gotham and are Mm -hmm. controlling it because after the end of last season when all the bridges were blown they're basically stranded and on their own so i really like what they're doing with that show i love it it's wonderfully bonkers i'm glad that it's kind of a shorter run this time around and it should be a nice tight story and we'll get to a king conclusion point so i'm i'm looking forward to watching the rest of this but i'm really enjoying that show that's really good also return this week new amsterdam that is back that's the medical drama which mm-hmm. uh, stars ryan eggold from uh, the blacklist the blacklist and he's great and so watchable and it's a really solid medical drama that and it's it, it's on amazon prime over here which is a bizarre place for it i still don't quite understand how it ended up on amazon prime because it's i'm grateful it's somewhere but it's got sort of it's very much a sky witnessy type show or universal tv it's a sort of procedural thing but it's quite nicely structured in that a lot of the arcs do run across multiple episodes it's not a sort of straight person comes in with problem they fix problem person leaves everything resets it's not that sort of straight procedural there are a lot of overarching stories in it with particularly the one to do with uh, ryan eggle's character and the fact that he's he's got cancer and they're sort of dealing with that so oh. there's not much of a spoiler because it is revealed in the first episode that i am really enjoying and uh, it, it's a solid medical drama it's well well worth going to watch I also caught first episode of Mary Kills People, which is a Canadian drama, which has won a whole bunch of different awards. And uh, this is a another one about a doctor. But in this particular case, she's a doctor that has a day job working at a hospital, but also moonlights as somebody that offers euthanasia services, obviously off the books because it's illegal in America. So uh, offers euthanasia services to um, you know, various people that are dying from terminal illnesses um it's a really interesting premise for a show kind of intriguing to see how they approach it and whether she's going to get caught or stuff i think it's only about six episodes this first season so it's it's really quite short but it's got three seasons already i think uh so uh that that's another one worth watching so that's on more four if you want to go and catch that and you can uh, you can find that on the catch-up services as well the other thing that i went to watch this week was cobra kai i finally got around to using yeah. Uh, YouTube Premium subscription. Although, in actual fact, I think all those shows are coming off YouTube Premium. You yeah, get, they're going directly. Yeah, yeah just you, with ads. you're <sighs> going to be able to watch them directly with ads. I finally got around to watching Cobra Fly. It's so much fun. You know, as somebody who has a great fondness for the original Karate Kid movies, it's just great. 
I, I really enjoy it. I like the fact that you've got the the two same actors, same leads that were in the original Karate Kid movie, and you're you're following the bad guy essentially from that first Karate Kid film, the one that he hits with the crane kick. And yeah, whereas the Karate Kid has gone off to be this car mogul, and he's got like loads of different motor car franchises and stuff. The uh, the other guy is down on his luck. He's living in this crappy little apartment. He gets fired from his job, and it ends up with him setting up a new version of the uh, Cobra Kai dojo, and ends up taking on a kid after the kid's been picked on, and he breaks up the fight and, and sort of takes down the the bullies and then this kid comes to him and asks him for training so it's essentially it is basically the sort of plot of the karate kid but with the uh, you're you're following sort of the cobra kai guy mentoring this young kid rather than it being the other side so it's funny there's a lot of references as somebody who's in his 40s and remembers the original when it went out there's a lot of kind of references to 80s music and the and these damn kids are too young and that sort of stuff which is hilarious and i'm quite surprised how well they managed to do it so I, i really enjoy watching that um, Game of Thrones, of course, ended last night. We're not going to talk about Game of Thrones here, partly because Daryl hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> and uh, partly because I this this is going to go out on Tuesday, so I don't want to spoil anything. What I will say is if you want to find out more about Game of Thrones and our thoughts on that, go to the Reviewing Westeros podcast, which is over on entertainmenttalk.org. We'll be having the new episode of that go out on Wednesday, and that will be the sort of penultimate episode of the series because we're going to do a wrap up one in a few weeks time as well but uh yes so that will give us give you your our thoughts on the finale so go and listen to that over on entertainmenttalk.org and then we've got a few things coming up uh this weekend it is of course mcm in london and uh we have an interesting lineup of guests at mcm some of which we never thought would land at mcm but uh, due to some other issues from other cons in london we've ended up with the whole of team arrow or a large portion of team arrow so Stephen amel david ramsey and emily rickards are there which was unexpected and there was a lot of there was a lot of controversy over that because uh for those of you don't know there are two cons that were going on at the same time in london and uh there's heroes and villains and there was MCM and heroes and villains always pitched themselves directly up against MCM and MCM basically have won that battle because uh, heroes and villains started to lose people for a variety of reasons we don't know exactly officially why some people started to back out but uh, various guests started to back out of the heroes and villains fan fest and there are a lot of rumours about why that is happening but we don't know whether any of that stuff is true Stephen Amell was the first big one to go and basically backed out of Heroes and Villains and then immediately signed up for NCM pretty much afterwards and then Heroes and Villains went down completely and they said they're going to move it and pair it up with Walker Stalker Con, which is another event that they did, which yeah, we've talked about on here before. They're going to pair the two of them together. So they're going to do them both at the same time. That basically freed up everybody who was a guest at Heroes and Villains to come and do MCM. So we've ended up with Stephen Amell, David Ramsey, MC, Emily Rickards. Uh, the guy that plays um, Tyler Houchin as well, he plays um, Superman. He's going to be there. So. Yes. I just know to say that um, Walker Stalker Con, which this year featured an absolute bucket 
rocket load of The Walking Dead stars. Yes. Um, takes place in February. Uh, yes. And you can head over to Hollywood News Source and type in Walk Soccer Corner and you can see my coverage because I attended that. Oh, cool. It had a bunch of uh, Game of Thrones people there as well, I seem yes. to remember. So. It had, yeah, it had um, Sam and um, the Night King. Yes. Bran, Hodor. There was a whole bunch of them there. So, yeah. so that's really good. Um, so along with along with the Team Arrow people at OMCM, you've got Sebastian Stamm, Winter Soldier. You've got uh, David Harbour, who, of course, um, is the new Hellboy and also from Stranger Things. Uh, Mish Collins from Supernatural. Nolan North and Troy Baker, who is the, the video voiceover guys who are hilarious if you've never seen any of that stuff before. A uh, bunch of people from Clerks, including Jason Mewes and Brian O'Hanron. The Walking Dead Lynx kids, uh, you've got Madison, Maxon and Matt. So that's Sophia and the two brothers that played Henry, the older and younger ones. There's a really good lineup this year. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to... Uh, we don't know who's going to be available for interview and who isn't. We'll have to wait and see, but... Uh, I, that, that I'm very much looking forward to. That's MCM next week. I'm also doing the Good Omens premiere in London next week, so there's that as well, uh, which means it's probably going to be an interview show from MCM next week. Then we're back live for a week, and then I'm on holiday for a few weeks. So there's going to be a few kind of interview shows over the next few weeks. So there's one normal show in between, a uh, few interview shows. We'll be completely back to normal by the 25th of June. So that's sort of what we've got coming up for the next few weeks on Geek Tower Moving on, it was, of course, Upfronts as well. So we did all the Upfronts coverage last week. So we don't need to go through kind of all the renewals and cancellations. Go and listen to last week's show or go and check the website if you want to know that. But one of the things that came out over the actual Upfronts presentations was they released a lot of the trailers. Was there any particular trailer which caught your eye or trailers which caught your eye? Trailer that obviously carries the most interest for me would be Batwoman. Yes, Obviously, you see the new entry to the Arrowverse yes. set on Earth One, for those people who really know Arrowverse stuff, <laughs> featuring Kate Kane, who is Batwoman in the comics, returning to Gotham yes. in the wake of the disappearance of the Bat for a number of years, and seeing the state of the city decides to take matters into her own hands after discovering her cousin's nifty toys, yes, and comes into conflict with, I think it's the um, big bad being um, Rachel Scarston, who you might know from Rain on CW or Lost Girl. Right, yeah. Seasons. It's the Wonderland gang. They've, ah, yes. they've appropriated the Wonderland gang because they're usually attached to a different villain. It's appropriate because the villain's Alice, who is a sort of psychotic version of Alice in Wonderland. And uh, it's usually attached to the Mad Hatter, the Wonderland gang, but they've kind of appropriated it and, and uh, attached it to Alice for the TV show. There's also the Crows as well. Crows Private Security, which is run by Jacob Kane, played yeah. by Digray Scott, who is the father of Kate Kane. And they're supposedly the people that are supposed to be protecting Gotham but aren't doing a very good job of it by the sound of it which is why Kate decides to uh, take over or take matters into her own hands so um, yeah I'm very much looking forward to this I, I think the, the trailer looks really good looks like it's going to be a solid show I think I said last week this seems to be a great stand-in for Arrow. I think this is going to be a good replacement for it. Uh, interestingly, they did announce how they were going to run them. They've they've paired... Two nights, which is an interesting decision. Yeah. So that would be Batwoman and Supergirl. Yeah. 
on Sundays and I believe the Flash and thing on Tuesdays? Yes, Flash and Arrow on Tuesdays until Arrow ends and then presumably that's going to get replaced by Legends because Legends yeah. has been delayed to mid-season so that's sort of January-ish. Yeah, um, to take over. Yeah, to take over. Huh? Those, that's the USA dates, of course. Uh, in, in the UK, I rather suspect they'll end up running every night. They'll, yeah. they'll probably run out four nights a week and they'll just carry on doing that and they will start sometime in the autumn, then we'll break at Christmas and we'll probably get them back February, March, like they've done previously. So, I mean, it, it will run pretty much as it has done for every year up until, you know, over, over here. That is assuming that Sky One have picked up Batwoman, which, I mean, I can't imagine they won't. Yeah. But at the moment, they haven't officially said, yes, they've taken it. So... It'd but, be but, silly not to. Yeah, but I can't imagine they won't be taking it. I mean, unless they, they lose out for whatever reason, but I, I can't imagine that they won't. So anything else from the trailers the other trailer for me that i that really caught my eye was emergence which is on abc which is it's very strange show about a sheriff who goes to report an object that crashed into the beach and finds a little girl decides to take her in only for strange happenstances to start occurring and strange shadowy organization suddenly comes to try and get the girl back yeah the trader instantly sucked me in and then as i was watching and thinking this looks really interesting in the back of my mind i got that little that little niggle this is going to be cancelled after one season <laughs> yes <laughs> they're going to suck us in they're going to drop some crazy finale and then it's going to get cancelled yeah it has got cancelled after one season written all over it this but yep. it does look really good because it so, reminds me of um that show that that went to amazon prime yes the crossing yeah the crossing no i it's it, almost exactly like that yeah absolutely absolutely the same thing to me I mean it's got a great cast it's got some interesting people behind it it's um, Michelle Fazakas and Tara Butters who uh, did Reaper was one of the shows they did they did ah! Kevin Kevin probably saves the world uh, as well but Reaper but but that never aired out there, but Reaper did the pilot directed by Paul McGregan who is one of um, Gattis and Moffat's guys so he's done okay. Sherlock he's doing the this Dracula thing that they're doing as well oh, so yeah, it's a really yeah. good director behind it uh, Alison Tolman who's in Good Girls and Fargo as the lead. I really like this. Oh, oh and he's got Donald Faison in it from Scrubs as oh. well. Oh. In a serious dramatic role rather than... <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Do you not think that the um, the little girl looks exactly like the sheriff? <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I hadn't really spotted that, but uh, yeah. Go back and watch it. I, I didn't and notice that. Like it, they do look scarily similar. Yeah. yeah, so, those, yeah are, those are my sort of the interest ones. One of which is not going to be cancelled and the other one Probably is. Probably is. Yeah, I, I I entirely agree with you. It's got one season written all over it, that emergence. But uh, I would like to see more of it. I mean, in terms of the trailers that came out, the, I, I thought Evil looked interesting, which is oh, the yeah, sort of... I saw that, yeah. Supernaturally kind of show. Interesting one for CBS, of all places. But I uh, mm-hmm. thought that kind of looked interesting. Basically, sort of misfit group of people thrown together. One's a skeptic, uh, one's a priest, and there's another guy in there as well. It's kind 
kind of X Filesy, but with a more supernatural bent yeah. rather than a straight up sort of thing. Comes from the creators of The Good Wife. It's got Mike Coulter in it from Luke Cage. It's got Michael Emerson in it from Lost in Person of Interest. It's got Katia Herbers in it from Westworld. Aziz Mandy from Blue Blood. Oh, that's where she's from. I w- yeah. I, was, I, was, I literally stared at her for the whole thing, <laughs> like, going, I've seen you from some, something. Uh, and I, now it makes sense why I wouldn't realize who it was. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Um, there's a new Westworld trailer out as well this morning. Is there? Yes. Mm. Which looks really good. Asif Mandif as well from uh, Series of Unfortunate Events and uh, Daily Show. He was a correspondent of for a while as well. But um, yeah, it's it's sort of, it's kind of, you know, religion, supernatural stuff kind of all mixed up together. Uh, that's evil though, which looked really, really intriguing. I thought that was quite good. Prodigal Son is the, is the other one, which we talked about quite a bit last week. This oh, okay. is, it's another Belanti show. <laughs> Um, it's uh, exec produced by Greg Berlanti, the Arrowverse guy. It's written by Chris Fadak, who wrote Deception and Chuck, and Sam Sclaver, who wrote Deception and Bored to Death. Wait, Deception is in the um, One and Done show? Yes, I believe so, yes. Okay. It stars Tom Payne. It also stars Michael Sheen. Tom Payne from mm-hmm. The Walking Dead played Jesus. Uh, Michael Sheen, who being in everything um, essentially a serial killer drama about it's kind of got a Hannibal Lectory sort of thing going on yeah. it's a troubled so, profiler yeah Tom Payne plays Michael Bright who's the troubled profiler his father was a serial killer called the surgeon and that's the character that Michael Sheen plays there are some copycat killings that's going on so the estranged son goes to his father and like can you help me with this because there appears to be somebody copying your style and it's never it's not entirely clear why you know whether he has any knowledge of this or whether he could help or what his motivations are yeah so it looks interesting and different it does it It, does it looks like quite a good show that so i'm i'm quite intrigued by that one uh but there's a trailer up for that there are a few of those as well but i think we'll we'll leave it there it's an interesting selection all the trailers if you want to go and watch yeah. the trailers they are all up on the website including a bunch that we haven't mentioned for shows that we haven't mentioned there's a lot of comedies and other things in there as well but uh, th- those are the ones that i think stood out particularly to us i would say if you want to go and see the rest go to geektown.co.uk we've got all the trailers up on there and uh, all those clips and stuff that's the stuff we've been doing this week let's move on to some tv and film news <laughs> So we kick off the TV and film news with renewals, cancellations and pickups. And there are quite a lot, considering we did a whole bunch last week, there are quite a lot more this week. Uh, Empire, which we announced was renewed last week, they've also now announced he's going to end with its sixth season, which yeah, it's fine. You know, I have I kind of dropped out of Empire after a couple of seasons. So, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Madam Secretary, they've also said that he's going to end on its sixth season as well. There's a lot of people petitioning for them to be a Madam President series after that and sort of to continue it on but Madam Secretary is going to end with season six Power the 50 Cent series that is also ending on a sixth season but they're kind of hinting that although that is ending they're just ending that story and there is almost certainly going to be a spin-off coming uh-huh. as well which is following other characters uh, or some of the characters from the show in different directions so there's that The Tick has been cancelled after two seasons although the creator is saying he's looking for a new home for it but that was cancelled by Amazon I mean I'm amazed it actually got picked up yeah, anywhere in the first place because I, 
that's I can't, dead. I can't. I think that's very much dead. It's but, been in fact, it's been swatted. Yes, um, <laughs> I, which is a shame because it is a wonderfully stupid series. I I really love it. But um, is it any better than the cartoon? Well, no, possibly not. But I mean, you know, I I think it's a shame. But um, yeah, I can't see managing to sell that anywhere else. On UK TV, Channel Four have renewed Friday Night Dinner for a sixth season. Freeform in America have renewed Siren for a third season and The Bold Type for a fourth season. Sci-fi series Snowpiercer, which I can't remember when it's network that's on. Is it TNT that are airing that? No, it's TBS they're airing that oh, weirdly. Okay. Uh, they, they're, they're pushing, yeah, they're pu- they're starting to push drama out on T on TBS, which has basically been comedy up until now. But they're starting to push drama out. So because it was it was ordered by TNT and they bumped it over to TBS. Uh, but Snowpiercer, which is based on the film and the book, that's been renewed for a second season before season one even airs. And season one's not arriving until spring 2020, but it's already been picked up internationally by Netflix. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that bit does make sense. Yes, yeah. so uh, that's renewed for two seasons now, which is good. Uh, over on Amazon, they've picked up the international rights to the Star Trek Picard series, really upsetting Netflix, I imagine, in doing so, because Netflix have all the other Star Treks. So, yeah. Did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have. I didn't know they had all the other ones. I just, yeah, I knew, I, I knew they obviously they had the um, discovery thing, but I just yeah. see that was just because, they, just they, because it was due. N- yeah, no, and they, CBS All Access probably just wanted the money. Yeah. so they've got like they, Enterprise, y- and uh, TOS, yeah. and yeah, they have everything. Uh, on Netflix wow. UK has everything. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think it's it's slightly different in other places. Like I think Amazon in the US have all the Star Treks as well. I don't think, but they, I don't think they, surely they don't if, because CBS All Access has them. And there'd be no point doubling them uh, up. Maybe. Well, apparently they're, they're sort of all over the place. I don't know. But oh, okay. uh, yes, in the UK, Star Trek Picard will be going out on Amazon, which has uh, upset a lot of UK fans because they're like, oh, I don't want to have to get Amazon and Netflix. And it's like, well, you know, that's who sold they sold it to. So that's what you're going to have oh, to God, do. It's with. £8. Pounds, yeah. Um, you know, and you can turn it on and off on a monthly basis. So, yeah. you know, turn it on for a month, turn it off again. And wait, exactly. Turn it off for a month, watch it. And that's, that's the end of that. Yeah. And Amazon's got some amazing stuff. Stuff coming up over the next few years so and it's got it's got a lot of like five-year-old shows that are more than worth watching if you haven't seen them yes the yeah, only problem for true. me is that i literally look through these and think oh, yeah i've seen all these yeah yeah so there it's is no point watching them again but he's got some great stuff on there so yeah. you know it's worth getting black mirror season five well they say season five <laughs> it's three episodes so it's not a long season but it is season five uh coming to netflix on the 5th of june they've announced and there is a little trailer which gives basically nothing away but uh there is a little trailer up for that uh so that looks really good and um they've announced that disenchantment the matt goering series that is returning in september to netflix for the second half of season one. Oh, and it is already renewed for a second season that as well okay. the only other thing was as we mentioned earlier the the cw in the u.s have paired up batwoman supergirl flash arrow legends helped to mid season they've also said that the crossover event is going to go over the mid-season break so there's yeah. going to they released a lot of information quite early. Yeah. So, this is a lot they did last year. Yeah. So, uh, Crisis and Infinite Earths, which, you know, we know that's the crossover event. We know that it's going to probably be quite game changing with what they're doing with the Arrowverse. You've got three episodes before the season break and then two yeah, episodes the, afterwards. Uh, winter break. Yeah. yeah. And then two episodes afterwards. Well. 
And so it looks like the Arrow will come back, run up to the break, and then that will be the end of Arrow, and then Legends will probably take that slot coming yeah. back. Uh, as I and say, they've also, and they've also confirmed that Legends are back in. Yes, after taking and, the break yeah, last year. and it will involve all five shows. So yeah. it's it, it will involve five hours of yeah, yeah. It will be a five hours worth of crossover this time around, which is awesome. So uh, yeah. I mean, I've given every time we've spoken to them, all the actors and any of the production team have always said, yeah, they're. In nightmare to do those so i'm yeah, surprised <laughs> but i think obviously with the placement of it makes it a lot easier because yeah. before they'll be quite early this probably gives them a little bit more time yeah maybe maybe that's the case given that and given that obviously arrow there's a lot less filming going on yeah. there yeah so maybe that's why but yeah that's awesome so i i'm looking forward to seeing what they bring with that crossover event. Much so, much whether, so. whether it does completely alter the arrowverse entirely uh, that's going to be interesting to see i wonder if, if they're going to collapse it and make I, it one world i i yes that was because that is what it does in the comic book so i do i do wonder if that is going to be the case and, if that, and i wonder if that one world will include black lightning yeah you see they they haven't mentioned black lightning as part of this but and they don't have to no. they can't collapse them all into one place yeah so I uh, yeah well, I, I do wonder whether that might happen whether the you might get a surprise appearance or I, I don't know that would be quite cool if that does happen but we'll, yeah, so we'll I, I think, yeah I would say there's I would think a 60% chance of Earth S and Earth 1 getting combined I yes I think that's quite likely yeah. so yeah so that's all good uh, sticking with DC though there was another big DC an- announcement oh yes it was uh, it was so big it actually beat my phone and I don't know how I don't know how my phone decides what to beat me for because I probably get beat for us like okay, yeah, yeah. maybe once or twice a week <laughs> and it, it beat me with these two actors are in the line to play Batman and then by the literally by the time I clicked on it it was everywhere else is running that it was only one person yes Matt Reeves the uh, director has taken over the, the Batman movie franchise uh, which we've talked about previously now it looks like he might have found his Dark Knight, and it looks like it could be Robert Patterson. I I don't know. It's it's an interesting choice. He's certainly got the jawline for it. I mean, you know. Yeah. I think it's only probably weird because people are still remember when it was Ben Affleck. And yeah. obviously that's a bit of a change. Yeah. No, I mean, that is a bit of a change. And she just got him younger by 20 years. So. Yeah, but we knew they were going to go younger. I mean, they talked about going younger because the... the I have been paying attention. They've talked about it going younger mainly because I think he wants to set this much earlier on in sort of Bruce's Batman career. Um, not, I, I don't think they're going to do an origin story. I don't think it's going to be that, but I think it's going to be sort of almost year one, maybe, of Bruce being Batman. So it's going to be much earlier on. That seemed to be where they were heading with it. So we always knew that it was going to be a younger actor or it was very likely going to be a younger actor. And having said that, actually, Robert Patterson, although he's most remembered for the Twilight movies, isn't actually... Well, I, don't, I, I think I saw remember Harry Potter. Well, yes, there is that as well, of course. He actually... Is is not the youngest person to take the role because I yeah, it's been, yeah that's quite weird apparently Christian Bale was 31 when he took the role and although Arpax does look younger I would argue he's actually a couple of years older than when Christian Bale took the role apparently so I think I think probably because we forget that Christian Bale was a child actor so he's been around yeah, for yeah. so long we assume he's a lot older than he actually is yeah so yeah and, and I mean we didn't really complain it when that happened so I think fine I don't have, I don't have a problem with that I think, I think yeah. it, 
Fine. I think if you actually take the time to look into Patterson's back catalogue post Twilight, you see that he's done a lot of interesting things. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely no reason for him not. And at the end of the day, this is Batman. This is not Shakespeare. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they're talking about it being a much more of a detective story as well as as him. Ah. You know, they, they, those are the so, sort of... So it's like, it's like a film noir. Yeah, it's supposed to be much more of a sort of film noir, much closer to the kind of the kind of darker comic book stuff. And, I think that's, that's interesting. And yeah. I, I think that, that's, that makes me more interested. Yeah, I, I, you know, rather than just be big, flashy, like dumb, stupid, you know, I, it's not going to be that. And given the stuff that Patterson has done since Twilight, I mean, he did Twilight, made a shed load of money, probably didn't ever need to work again after doing those films. And which is probably why he ch- uh, which is why he chose all the weird stuff yeah and, and he's like, he, lots of independent lots of things yeah, independent yeah. art house movies he's done a lot Christian Stewart did yeah, yeah. her f- film career yeah so he's done a, a lot of, of quite highly respected you know stuff that's like launched at Cannes Film Festival and, and that sort of thing so his career after Twilight is is a lot of kind of art house and indie movies and, and that sort of thing and I think that very much seems to be by choice you know rather than doing these big things so I'm quite excited for this I think I mean the thing is there was a lot of backlash when this was announced and there always is I mean you can dig up newspaper reports of when they announced Michael Keaton as Batman for the those original Tim Burton movies and the amount of backlash then when he was announced was fairly high and some people said the same when Ben Affleck was announced so you know I have no problem I think it'd be interesting what we actually end up calling him is is, I mean whether it's Patman or (laughs) Batpat I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I've, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. I think it could be really interesting. Moving on to Netflix, but sticking with comic books, they've commissioned a new show called The Magic Order, which is based on the Mark Miller comic book. If you remember last year or the year before, uh, Netflix bought Miller World, which is Mark Miller's comic book studio. So Netflix owned the comic book studio. Then, then the first comic that they released as a comic book was The Magic Order, written by Miller. That went out as a comic book. They've now turned that comic book into a TV series, which was probably the plan all along, I suspect. Mm. But they, they're using the comic books to basically test the water to see what might work as a TV series for the looks of things. Magic Order, Miller describes it as The Sopranos meets Harry Potter, which I think is a great, great description of it. That sounds like a man who sold something in Hollywood before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, story follows five families of magicians sworn to protect our world for generations who must battle an enemy that is picking them off one by one. By day, they live amongst us as neighbours, friends and co-workers but by night they are sorcerers, magicians and wizards that protect us from the forces of darkness unless the darkness gets them first so uh, yeah I, I think that looks really quite interesting, uh, it's exec produced by James Wan from Aquaman, director of Aquaman and Lindsay Beer who did some shows called Chaos Walking and Sierra Burgess is a Loser which was a Netflix movie she did um, uh, yeah. she's been the writer on it and he's going to be the showrunner, uh, James Wan's going to direct the premiere episode it's exec produced by a bunch of people from James Wan production company so guys behind, they, I think they did some MacGyver and Swamp Thing the DC Swamp Thing series mm-hmm. so they kind of, yeah, they're involved with the DC stuff already obviously yeah. so they know the comic book things I I, mean, I think this sounds kind of interesting I mean it does sound no, quite interesting, no I think. casting yet but I rather like the description I like Miller's work so um, the comic book was first released June 2018 um, oh. it's so yeah. they 
bought Miller World back in 2017. Then June 2018, this was the first comic book that was released under the Netflix Miller World flag. Uh, it okay. didn't finish its run until February 2019, and then they've now commissioned it as a TV show. And uh, we've also got other TV shows based on Miller's comic books coming, like Jupiter's Legacy's got, that's quite way into production, actually, that because there's a bunch of casting out for that. Uh, American Jesus is in production as a series. They're doing film adaptations of Empress Hook, Sharky the Bounty Hunter. So uh, there's a whole load of, I mean, they, they're using the Miller back catalogue quite Sounds extensively. Good. Netflix hasn't given a release date for the Magic Order season one yet. I wouldn't expect it before 2020, at least, given that it's obviously going to have effects and stuff in it. Yeah, even if it was start production today, yeah. it would seem to be here. It's going to be probably late 2020 at the earliest, because they haven't even announced casting yet for it. So, mm. yeah, uh, Lindsay Beer, by the way, interesting. She's um, Sierra Burgess is a loser is kind of probably the biggest thing on her list at the moment, but she's gone on. She's writing the Empress movie, which is based on Mark Miller's stuff. She's uh, also writing a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot and a that film yeah film and okay. uh, a, a new reboot of Short Circuit apparently the classic Ooh. 80s so, uh, so that's, yeah that's controversial yes I mean, that if, you think, if you think people have strong opinions about Ghostbusters yeah see if you want to miss which Short Circuit is an amazing film so uh, so yes we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that turns out but apparently that's the other thing she's working on so you know so somebody somebody likes her out there in Hollywood but that's the magic order coming to Netflix that's all the news for this week let's move on to an interview millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy that's just not who I am but Noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The interview this week is with Miles Hankin, who is the composer of Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron's Longshot, which stars Rogen and Theron in a romantic comedy. And uh, Theron plays the Secretary of State, who is now running for president. And uh, she bumps into a guy who I think she used to babysit him. I think that's the basic setup of it. And um, he is a sort of out of work screenwriter and she hires him as a speechwriter and hilarity ensues. That's basically the, the sort of setup for the film. Miles has uh, been composing the music for that. He's got a bunch of other things under his belt as well. He's worked quite a lot with Marco Beltram, which means that he worked on A Quiet Place, which of course was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Score. He worked on the music for Marvel's fantastic, much maligned Fantastic Four movie, The Shadows, Universal's The Snowman. Um, he's done a bunch of other things like HBO documentaries and various other bits and pieces as well. So uh, we talk about all that sort of stuff and particularly long shot because that's the thing that's obviously been out most recently here's the interview with miles we will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on tv it's lovely to have you come on and, and chat for a little bit we're mainly talking about long shot which is the romantic yes. comedy you've been doing recently uh, but before we get into that let's do a little bit of background how did you get into composing in the first place? Well, it, it's funny. I mean, I can honestly say film composer was, was the first job I ever wanted when I was a kid. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I was 
pretty single-minded about it. it it's um, yeah, it's funny. Most kids want to be an astronaut or a, you know a doctor. I wanted to be a, a, a film composer, and I think it came from um, a trip to, to New York City when I was about eight years old. My father took us to see uh, a seventy-millimeter print screening of Lawrence of Arabia, and I was so mesmerized by everything—the the visual spectacle and the the amazing score uh, by Maurice Shar—and I I remember asking my father, you know. How does this work? How does uh, how does this amazing music get you know embedded into the movie? And he said, "Well, there's a composer, and they write the the score, and then they record it, and blah blah blah." And the whole thing was so mystifying and and kind of magical to me. And I was always sort of fantasized about the the idea of of, of writing mu- music that could be accompanied by such such amazing visual uh, you know uh, storytelling. And so you know, years later, when I began to really focus on music, uh, you know, around the age of ten, I was studying piano and uh, composition and, and, and violin and music theory and all these things. And I ended up going to school for, for music. I have a bachelor of music from the University of Miami School of Music. I've studied at the Eastman School of Music and also in, in New York with, um, with a composer uh, called Darren Hagen, who is a very prolific American composer of opera music and art music. And, you know, he, he's a, a real sort of legitimate classical composer. You know, he studied with Leonard Bernstein and at Juilliard and wow. everything. And yeah. so I kind of had this, this, this pretty traditional uh, upbringing musically, but of course, at the same time, I was more of a jazz piano player. I was in playing in a lot of rock bands and I was also uh, experimenting with electronic music production all like every step of the way. So I always had one foot in, in, more of kind of commercial music. And um, really the whole thing was ultimately kind of shaping towards film scoring. But I was in New York City. This was 2004. I I had just finished my undergrad. I had just uh, kicked around the Caribbean for six months as a musical director for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. That was a fun fun summer job, you know, when you're 21 years old. That that was a lot of fun. Um, And then, you know, moved up up to New York City, which is actually where I'm originally from. So basically moved back there and and learned very quickly that it's difficult, uh, very difficult to make a living playing jazz piano <laughs> in the big city <laughs> as one of the most expensive places on earth to yeah. live. Uh, that just wasn't cutting it. So I ended up, um, you know, taking a day job and sort of paying the bills. And around that time, I submitted for a competition that was judged by Hans Zimmer. And that was the Turner Classic Movies Young Film Composers Competition. And I had submitted for that, was selected as one of the five finalists. And then, uh, they, you know, they flew me out to Los Angeles. I got to meet uh, with Hans Zimmer, I got to uh, sort of hang around the city a bit and plug into uh, the culture out here, and uh, you know, actually got a few job offers in my first visit. So within wow. a year, I actually moved out here, and this was the summer of 2007, and I uh, decided to make the make the move, and um, began working on a on a little TV series called Flash Gordon for the Sci-Fi Network. Yeah, and. That was that was the beginning of it all, and the rest is the rest is sort of history. I've been out here now for about twelve years. I've been working uh, constantly, consistently uh, ever since, and uh, it's been a great adventure. But yeah, it, that's kind of that's that's sort of the long version. <laughs> <laughs> 
of the story but that's it that's awesome though um so the the film you've been working on most recently is is long shot which is is kind of a bit of a, a homecoming or coming back together for you because it's <laughs> it's jonathan levine and uh, marco uh, beltram who yes. uh, you've worked with before i mean you've worked that's with marco right. numerous times but you've done other films with them as well i mean yeah that's right it, we, we uh we had scored a film for jonathan called the night before that was a holiday comedy and we had a lot of fun with that it was that that one also starred Seth Rogen and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and that, that was a great kind of ensemble comedy cast. We had a lot of fun with that one. Of course, that score was much more of kind of a traditional holiday score. There was a bit of a, a nod to sort of Home Alone sound, you know, a bit of that Nutcracker Tchaikovsky sound to it, um, which was a lot of fun to do. This this is a more, well, we'll get into the music, but yes, this it was sort of like getting the band back together. You know, working with Jonathan is always so great. He's a, he's a really cool guy. He cares very, very deeply about the music. He focuses a lot on the songs that he places in his films and then the score kind of takes um, more of a storytelling role and, and kind of fills in the gaps but uh, he cares very very passionately about it and, and he was um, he's an interesting guy because he he likes to let you kind of experiment and explore ideas and so when Marco and I were you know kicking around themes and ideas he would just sort of give us these these little you know positive uh, encouraging texts and, and emails you know <laughs> words of encouragement and then we would sort of present him with the themes and unfortunately um you know he liked the, he liked the music very much that we we were coming up with from from the beginning and so he sort of let us um just kind of run with it but but yeah he gives he, he likes to give his composers creative space which i think is very important because many many directors don't really know how to do that and so i think it's a bit daunting or a bit scary i think for some filmmakers to sort of let their baby go uh mm-hmm. into the hands of a composer for a while and and just cross their fingers so jonathan is is um he's willing to do that and i think that always um benefits the the creative process but anyway yeah it was great uh working working with these guys again and um it's always thrilling to to work on something that um you know it's, it's just a fun movie and it's just something that people liked we were at the south by southwest premiere and and the audience was like just literally rolling in the aisles <laughs> so it was <laughs> It's a lot of fun. And, and then Boys to Men came out and sang two songs, you know, after the movie ended and, and turned the whole theater into a big dance party, you know, oh, wow. so that was that was pretty great that's awesome you're writing for a I mean Longshot is a romantic comedy you're writing music for a romantic comedy I assume that the purpose is not to try and kind of go in with a funny soundtrack for the film yeah exactly exactly and and that's that's sort of the trick I think with with comedy is is to not not try to make the music funny Uh, I don't I don't even know if it's possible to do that but I think (laughs) I think that if the if if you can sort of play it sincerely um, especially the the, the personal story, if you can try to play the, the romance and, and, and just give it its credit, you know, it, there's a sort of an absurd premise to the film, of course, you know, but the idea that these two might actually find something in one another that, um, that really ignites a spark. It's a charming notion. And I think, I think that the actors pull it off. And I think the music really, the role of the music there was to not get in the way of that and not screw it up basically <laughs> you know it's it's such a nice thing when the acting is 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 good and and the writing is is funny and and so that's all working and so the music isn't required to serve a, a sort of helping hand function in that regard it's it's almost uh, the, the job is almost to more more stay out of the way and um just create a little halo of magic around it and that's that's what we tried to do um and then of course there's other scenes where there's just broad physical comedy <laughs> happening yeah. 
um, you know, like when uh, Seth Rogen literally just falls down like three flights of stairs at, at, at warp speed and, and crashes on the floor, you know, there's really not much you can do there except um, just just laugh. And that yeah. um, in, in those more broad action moments, you know, we were, we kind of took it to the next level and, and let the let the music play a bit more full, a, a bit more um, kind of winking with the audience, that kind of thing. But when the story takes, you know, the serious turns, we, we definitely tried to treat it as if it were just um, really a dramatic film. And I think our instrumentational choices, you know, we had things like ukuleles and unusual hand percussion. And there were certain quirky elements just to the instruments in the score that that alone sort of gave it a bit of color and character. We didn't need to sort of Mickey Mouse anything and and try to in terms of the writing, we didn't really need to make it too silly or too funny yeah how do you divide stuff up because you're working with with marco on this and you know i presumably you've worked together a number of times now so you you've got a good shorthand of of like how you work around problems and how you divide up the the workload is it is it a case of one person comes up with a theme and then you expand on that or or do you just split it down the middle how, how does the process work yeah you know it's 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 different with every film um but you're you're absolutely right marco and i have collaborated on a number of projects over over the last five or so years um and it's always it's always really rewarding to work with him Marco's one of my favorite composers in hollywood he's i think one of the most original voices in the sort of film music landscape and he's also just a really good guy he's he's very generous um in terms of the opportunities that he affords me and and some of the some of the other folks that we work with and and not all the composers out there are like that. You know, Marco has a very small team. Um, you know, it's it's really just a few few people, and and he he trusts us a lot. So there's a lot of this mutual trust and respect that, that kind of goes into that. And that's what allows us to kind of do what we do together, I think. Um, in terms of our process, you know, I have my own studio here in Burbank and, and Marco has his own beautiful studio in Malibu. And um, and so we, we, we don't work in the same space. We, you know, we, we, we keep our own kind of creative spaces and our own processes. Working with Marco is very much like really any project that I score on my own. I, I come to work in the morning. I set up my rig. I have my own team of people here, my own assistants and um, and I just write music um, but when when I'm collaborating with Marco it's very much a question of sharing ideas with one another um, sometimes Marco will start writing ideas first um, and and come up with thematic material like you mentioned before and sometimes theme theme ideas might actually come from me or, or someone else in in our team and we'll we'll sort of pass them around and, and experiment with them and see what works the best but Marco is always sort of the you know, he's sort of always the the all-seeing eye that that kind of manages everything, and and he's really it's extraordinary to see him under pressure because he's so calm. He maintains um, like a really even temper and and a, a really kind of focused overview of everything, especially when he's juggling multiple large projects at once. It's it's pretty impressive. So he's he's definitely the guy you want at the helm um, when a project gets kind of crazy or, or if the if the pressures are, are really turned up to 11. You know, it's, it's really cool to watch him in, in action because he sort of sets the pace and, and reminds us how we can sort of elegantly navigate through those waters. <laughs> you know? And when the rest of us are sort of like, you know, inclined to scream and jump off the ship, you know, he's 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 there um, steering us to safe harbor. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's 
it's it's cool. And like I said, every project's different. I mean, we did last year. We did a Quiet Place. That was a that yeah. was a film store that was you know there was a lot of different sort of artistic considerations, sort of just in terms of you know what should the music do in in, in a film with no dialogue. You know how big should it go? How 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 much should we pull it back? And there was a lot of experimentation with that score. Uh, we we did a lot of trial and error, kind of spent a lot of hours in the lab, so to speak. You know, experimenting with sound design and uh, building instruments from the ground up. And we even at one point brought in a, a huge orchestra to record all kinds of weird aleatoric gestures that we thought might we might be able to sort of manipulate and and, you know, we just tried everything. We just threw like as much paint on the canvas as we could <laughs> until finally something started to take shape. But that was an, a sort of an unusually difficult puzzle to solve. The, you know, a, a film like Long Shot, it really kind of came down to understanding just the three kind of main areas of the movie. There's this beautiful kind of intimate personal story that we decided to score with simple themes played on, you know, acoustic guitars, ukuleles, mandolins, and and that kind of thing. Then there was this sort of sense of, sweeping patriotism and, and, um, kind of broad orchestral work, uh, you know, music that, that could really lay into that Americana side, uh, side of, of the story, which was a lot of fun to write that. And we had a big 60 piece orchestra for that. And then we had these, you know, we had these like kind of funny action scenes that were really just over the top. And we kind of went full tilt with that and, and gave it more of like a hybrid electronic orchestral thing and, and really went kind of intense with it because it just seemed to push the comedy of it. And so those were the three kind of main sounds of the score and actually the score was just released today um which is pretty exciting it's on it's on you know spotify and apple music and itunes and all that fun stuff so it's nice to see that get out there and um yeah i was just listening back to it It, it, it's a it's a it's a lovely little score and it's got it's got lots of kind of nice twists and turns in in it and it's it's interesting to just scroll through the the tracks in here how you know here's one track that has a kind of a funky um you know sort of 8-bit nintendo guitar guitar effect happening <laughs> and, and electric bass. And then the next score is this sort of Gershwin-esque 1940s reorchestration of our theme that plays in one of these um, wow. great gala dinner scenes, you know, in Buenos Aires is a very elegant scene. That was a lot of fun to do that. And then the next cue is some sort of um, almost Copeland-esque kind of uh, <laughs> you know, Americana soaring, sweeping theme. So, it, it, you know, it's funny to kind of now that I've had about a year of distance from the score, it's, it's kind of fun to listen back to it and hear all the little uh, diversions and all the little circuitous uh, journeys that it takes uh, along the way. It's pretty cool. That's very cool. Nice to get such a mix into one film as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You mentioned using things like ukuleles and mandolins there. What, what's the strangest thing you've ever sort of picked up to get a sound out of for a score? <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I mean, it really is amazing the things that that we will um, try to utilize just to just to create some sort of a sonic effect. I mean, it it almost becomes more like in the world of Foley or in the world of mm-hmm. um, like what Ben Burt would do to create, you know, the sound of the lightsaber or um, you know all these kind of iconic things. I mean. We did a movie called The Shallows um, a couple of years ago, which was a, sort of this um, really intense shark film, basically, right. starring Blake 
Blake Lively. And, you know, we, we, we experimented with a lot of things for a sound for the shark that, that could be sort of musical, but still sort of convey some kind of prehistoric, uh, I don't know, primal sort of monster sound, but underwater and, you know, it still be musical. So it's not just a sound effect. And we ended up using, um, we hung these huge metal plates, uh, like reverb plates basically from the ceiling. And then we would bow them with all kinds of like, you know, double bass bows or, um, and it would create this, this like, this kind of roar, but it had this, it had this muted muffled quality to it that almost made it sound like it was underwater. And then it also had a pitch and it had like, you, you could sort of manipulate the pitch a little bit. And so it had this sense of really struggling to kind of change pitch. And, and it, there was a sense of intensity and urgency within the sound. And I don't know, it was just crazy, but it, it kind of worked. And then we sort of wove that into the actual score cues and things like that. But I mean, I could give you a million examples. I mean, Marco and, and his um, creative collaborator, Buck Sanders, they, you know, they've been doing this kind of crazy stuff for years and years <laughs> and years. And I think the first day I met Buck, he was outside um, up on the cliffside in Malibu next to their studio. And he had been uh, stringing these these piano wires uh, across the cliffside <laughs> and he had attached them to literally an upright piano on one side and then a water tank on, on the other side, <laughs> stretched maybe 50, 50 yards apart. And, and he called it, you know, it was an Aeolian piano in the sense that these piano wires would actually sympathetically resonate when the wind blew and it would create these, these humming tunes. And then if you put the microphone near the soundboard of the piano, that would in turn trigger some other pitch, um, sympathetic vibrations. And it it was just insane. I mean, that, that, that kind of, that level of sound design that alone could take the whole, the whole three months, you know, (laughs) it's like the idea of getting any writing done when you're having that much fun, it just seems impossible to me, but, um, it's, it's pretty cool. And I think a lot, a lot more now in scores, you'll hear this, uh, there's more of an emphasis on on not just what the notes are but the um, what's the actual sound that's 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 performing the notes and putting a lot more emphasis on production sound design sometimes at the at the expense of composition but I think it's an interesting time to just explore and experiment and it's cool to hear different stuff you know yeah 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 i mean you've worked on a few kind of sci-fi projects as, as well and stuff i mean you you worked a bit on the fantastic four movie mm-hmm. um i should say the much much maligned fantastic four movie but i rather enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> very much maligned and and and, and, and you know probably rated uh, i think is probably, probably rightly so well i think i think the film you know there, there were a lot of issues i think in terms of the production of that film yeah, i yeah. think those issues have been um you know enumerated ad nauseum online but i think you know in terms of the score that was actually a very well it was a tricky it was a tricky um process there was a lot of pressure i I remember now and it was but but i was very happy with the um the end result of the score and i did end up writing quite a lot of that score and it's it's a score that that i'm i'm particularly proud of because it's that was the my first film collaboration with marco and you know, I came in late on that. I think they, I had met Buck, but I hadn't really worked with, with them yet. And it was just an opportunity to come in. I think things had gotten pretty crazy there. They were, they were, uh, it was just a high pressure situation. And 
I came in and it was, it was sort of a trial by fire for me. I, I was sort of thrown right into the deep end on that. And, um, so I, I'll always have a, a kind of a positive association with it, but it's a good lesson to learn that, you know, when you work so hard on something, you know, you put your heart and soul into it and then to see the film do poorly, you know, that's a, that's a very important lesson for all film composers and, and really everyone in the business to kind of learn yeah. where, you know, no one sets out to make a quote bad film. You know, everyone, everyone works really hard and I'm sure any Anybody who worked on that film would agree that they worked just as hard on that film as they did on other things they, they may have done that were successful. Yeah. It's just, you know, at a certain point, it either works or it doesn't. It yeah. goes out to the world and then it's up for the up to the audience to, to decide. And yeah. certainly I mean, Marvel fans are some of the most discerning, if, if stringent critics and fans. So you, <laughs> yeah. those are the ones you really got to work hard to, to please. But I yeah. Think, yeah, I think the thing with that movie was I don't think it actually was a bad film. I just think it was a film that, that wasn't anything what people expected it would be. Mm -hmm. So yeah. You know, yeah. I think it was more that and it was like, this isn't Fantastic Four. It was something else entirely. And as you say, <laughs> Marvel fans can be vicious when they want to be. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree. I, I just think structurally, I think, I, th I don't know, it almost seemed like they just ran out of time. Yeah. And the whole third act just doesn't quite work yeah. you know it's but but again you know from the point of view of the score you know what we ended up with was something that i'll always be proud of i, I think it's a great score i think it's a great yeah. kind of adventure yeah. sci-fi adventure comic book score and you know it's just interesting to see how that whole world has evolved since then of course now you know <laughs> disney pretty much owns everything and yes. so now the Marvel Universe can sort of flex its uh, unencumbered muscles and 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 do literally anything it, it, it wants to do. And it sounds like they're really getting it right now, you know, yeah. with Endgame and all this stuff. So it's 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 cool to see that crazy journey that it's taken across all these different property owners and now to finally see it all consolidated and the fans are happy. It, it's been a wild ride. I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it yes. It looks like Fantastic. Well, hopefully, Fantastic Four will come back again in in some form. Now it's part of the Marvel universe. Right, that's right. Scrolling back down through your IMDb, which is something I tend to do, I go and look look people up when I'm interviewing them on IMDb and scroll to the bottom because that's always really interesting. <laughs> um, first few movies that are on the bottom of your your composing credits. I love B films, and there is just <laughs> <laughs> there's a set of fabulous B film names like Crow Angels, Wolfsbane spelt with a y important that uh house of bones quantum apocalypse and monster wolf which is oh, th man. these were sci-fi movies weren't they they were for the sci-fi oh, yes. channel oh, yes, um, yes. and i have a huge affection for b movies and uh these these sound wonderful i i rather suspect that <laughs> is is the process a case of here's no money go and make me a soundtrack yeah you know I, that was i think my first first or second year in la um and i had just moved out i was working with a composer called john dixon who's, who's a brilliant composer he he's he was scoring the series burn notice which was a very successful oh, hit, yeah. hit show Fabulous. and Fabulous. john is john is one of one of the one of my you know oldest buddies in, in la and um someone i respect immensely and, and when i first came out to la i was assisting him him on a number of projects and he had had a, a you know in the past he had done a few of those films and he knew that I was sort of trying to make some extra bucks and and he didn't really need to be working on those anymore so he sort of threw some of those my way and I ended up doing about five of those four or five of those early on and you know it was an amazing learning experience I I have to say because it's really like like you say I mean there's not a lot of money so you're not going to have a lot of opportunity to record anything live, but they yeah. all want these huge scores. You know, these, <laughs> these it's like a, it's like a 90 minute 
action sci-fi film and it needs, you know, 88 minutes of or- bombastic orchestral score, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they need it in like three weeks, you know, yeah. it's, it's total insanity. So I would, I would get those gigs and I would just stay up for three weeks. I would just pour like, you know, vats of coffee and I would stay up for three weeks straight scoring them. And it's amazing what you sort of learn about yourself in those processes, <laughs> because there's just no, there's no like opportunity for second guessing. Like you still have an hour of music to write in the next two weeks. Like you, you just can't. So you just, you, you find yeah. that you just start getting very fast and very sort of confident with what you're writing. And when I go back and I listen to those scores, which I actually haven't done in many, many years, but if I were to, I think I would be surprised by some of the things that I accidentally or inadvertently found musically. Um, and I don't think I don't think you you get to those places without that level of pressure, because if you have time and space to sort of second guess, you end up discarding those ideas before they even are allowed to kind of flourish and, and bloom. But in the case of, uh, you know, one of these, you know, pot boiler situations, you just kind of have to go with it. And even if it's like not working, you kind of just stick some wrenches in it and twist some <laughs> screws and then suddenly you kind of force it to work. And, uh, it's, I don't know, it makes for interesting music. And it, it, there's always a sense of intensity to those scores because they're all written under like extreme duress. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of cool, but you know, I mean, I was never like a huge, uh, guy, you know, I don't really like know those movies very well, but I have to say that some of those films were very well made. It was a production company that was based in, I think Lafayette, Louisiana. And, some of the films were shot on like 35 millimeter and they had real fantastic crews, production crews down there. And so, I mean, you know, for what those movies are, I think they're, they're kind of definitely interesting little um, projects that, I, that, I've, that I've worked on. And I, I kind of have a, a special place in my heart for them because they kind of taught me a lot of, of the tricks and the, and the yeah. technique that I utilize every day now when I work on, you know, bigger films or whatever. You know, it's a lot of stuff comes from that experience. So it's, it's always going to be, uh, you know, a special place in my heart for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think working in TV is certainly a bit of a, a trial by fire if you've kind of been used to doing larger feature things. And then suddenly, particularly, I mean, full network series TV yeah. is, yeah. is I mean, the turnarounds can be insane. So, oh, you know, it's... Oh. It's a, it's a good way of, of like seeing what you're made of, I guess. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, that's the real, where the rubber meets the road. Um, yeah. if you can handle a, like a network series and, and come out of that with, uh, still intact, that's something to be proud of for sure. Totally. So, um, last couple of questions. Uh, firstly, what are you doing next? If you can talk about it, which I know is not always the case. Yeah. We've been working for the last five months on a feature, um, and you know, can't really talk about that right now, right. but uh, that's been all consuming for the first half of this year. But um, next week, I'm going to New York uh, for the sports Emmys, actually. The, the, I was nominated for a, an HBO series I scored last year called Being Serena. Right, yeah, yeah. That was uh, you know about Serena Williams, and it was a really intimate kind of portrayal of her personal life. She had taken some time away from tennis, and she was becoming a mother. And so that was, that was exciting, and I was very thrilled to... Um, to get that nomination. So I'll be there for that. Uh, and then I have another project coming up with HBO later this year, which is still in the works. And then we have some more films coming up. Uh, Marco and I are going to be working together on some other things in the pipeline. I think uh, quiet place is, is talking about maybe doing a sequel to that right. and some, some other things. So it's, it's going to be pretty busy the second half of the year as well, but uh, I'm hoping to try and take a little time off <laughs> at some point. <laughs> really haven't had a day off in about three years. So 
So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking some time off. Um, and also, I'm I'm building a new studio uh, at my new house in Sherman Oaks. Uh, so I'll have a I'll keep the studio here in Burbank, and I'll have a home studio, which will be nice. Um, oh, cool. You know, when those late hours kick in, I can spend some more time and be, be closer with my family. I have a, a wife and daughter there. So it'd be good to, you know, sometimes we get into these, uh, crazy schedules and just yeah. sort of disappear. Uh, might might actually recognize you when you walk through the door. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, that's exactly, I, I, I want to make sure my daughter still knows what I look like. So, um, probably good to, to be closer to home sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so last couple of questions. First one is what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Well, this is going to be very disappointing to your um, listeners because I am I am one of those few people who actually doesn't watch a lot of TV, and it's not because I don't love it; it's because I just don't have time. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm literally like I spend twelve to fifteen hours a day, usually six, sometimes seven days a week, you know, in my studio in front of screens, multiple screens, scoring TV and scoring film. So recreationally, I don't really tend to watch it. Having said that, um, I love Black Mirror. I I don't know even if that's if that's in the middle of a current iteration but i think that's a brilliant series it is in actual fact they've just released a trailer it's coming back um i want to say june july something like that it's back so three more episodes that's 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 awesome um and my wife and i like to watch um we have these like guilty pleasure like cooking shows that we'll watch so yeah like she likes to watch the british baking show and um you know well there's there's a store there's a series called street food right now that um focuses on uh, different cities in Asia and different like Asian street food, which is really exciting. I, I love stuff like that. And in terms of like narrative dramas, I tend not to get too into it. I missed the Game of Thrones bandwagon like way, way back. And at this point, <laughs> I'm so far behind that I'm, I'm officially just saving it for my retirement because I right. don't think I'll... I don't think I'll ever catch up. And then, oh yeah. And then Marco and, and, um, our other colleague, Brandon just have, have been working on, uh, the twilight zone reboot for CBS all access. So I've been ah. kind of checking that out too. And I think they're doing a really amazing job with that score. And I think Jordan's doing a really cool job with, um, with the reboot. So yeah. that's, that's pretty cool too. Awesome. Last question is if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show past, present or something future, which show would it be? Man, that's a great question. I mean, I have to say, and again, I haven't, I haven't followed Game of Thrones um, because I missed out, at, you know, at the beginning, and now I, I haven't caught up. But I, I, I think that Ramin is probably having a great time on that series. Yeah. It, it just seems like the idea of taking something in that fantasy world and serializing it but at such a high level of quality so that the music can sort of be like that, that would be sort of a, a, a composer's dream. I think a mm-hmm. show like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my, you know, a lot of the scores that really inspired me when I was young, like in my like early teens, you know, they were the, they were like the fantasy scores. I was like, like James Horner wrote this amazing score for Willow, um, yeah. which, you know, which is like that George Lucas uh, produced film, but yeah. And, uh, and it's like, it's just such a great score. I, I think it turns out a lot of it is, is sort of derivative of, of certain, uh, like classical music, but it's just such a beautiful score and, and, and deftly wrought. There's, there's a couple action sequences in that. They're just amazing. And the fantasy genre just allows, you know, allows you to take this orchestrational color to kind of the next level. And so the idea of being able to do that on a show would be amazing. When I was really into lost, I thought the score, I thought Michael did a really good job with that score and keeping it kind of primal and, and simplistic, but you know, this is such a, like a hard question. I wish I had been prepped. I, I would have come up with three, <laughs> 
answered. You mentioned Willow there. There is a Willow TV show possibly on the possibly on the cards. Disney Plus are in talks with Ron Howard about oh doing, my goodness. doing oh, yeah. a Willow TV series. So I have to call my, to call my agent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, there's a Lord of the Rings series coming on Amazon. And if you want big yeah. fantasy things, you, and they're, they're all trying to find the next Game of Thrones now. So you know, of course, of course yeah. I know, and then it'll, and that's the bummer is, is like it'll, it'll reach the saturation point very quickly now because everyone's going to kind of try to do it. But who knows? Maybe. Maybe there'll be some yeah. really great alternatives as well. So we'll yeah. see. It's been lovely chatting with you. It's been really nice having you on. You too, Dave. Absolutely. Good luck with everything. Once you know what stuff's coming up and what you can actually talk about, you'll have to come back on and tell us about whatever you next is. Absolutely. I look forward to it. That sounds right. great. Talk to you Thanks, soon. Dave. Cheers. Okay, have a good weekend. Bye-bye. You, bye. So that was the interview with Miles Hankin. Hope you like that. Uh, long shot is out in cinemas now, so you can go and uh, go and find it there. Here's some highlights for next week on TV. So highlights for next week, we've got uh, Summer of Rockets, which is a little mini-series going out on BBC Two on the 22nd of May at 9pm. Uh, to Stephen Polyakov, Cold War drama, and starts Toby Stevens and Keely Horse. So uh, that could be one to watch because they're both Ooh. great actors. Yeah, so, uh, they are. So uh, there is a, a trailer floating around for that, but that looks really, really good. We've got the other two, which is a comedy that's coming to E4 on the 23rd of May at 10 p.m. Expiring actor Kerry and his sister Brooke, a former professional dancer, trying to find their place in the world while wrestling with their feelings about their 13-year-old brother Chase's sudden rise to internet fame, who's basically become a YouTube star. So uh, okay. that's the setup for that one. That's called The Other Two. That's 23rd of May on E4. Uh, Riviera returns for a second season. That's in Sky Atlantic. That's on 23rd of May at 9 p.m. You can't fail to have seen a trailer for that somewhere she's got a habit season two of that comes on the 24th of may to netflix that's the update of spike lee's revolutionary debut film that's his second season for that uh, what if which comes to netflix on the 24th of may this is a neo-noir social thriller which explores the ripple effects of what happens when acceptable people started doing unacceptable things it sort of feels a bit indecent proposally sort of setup to this oh, okay. um from what i can tell from the trailer but um looks like an interesting one that one but that's 24th of may that starts uh then we've got agents of shield which comes back on the 26th of may at 9 p.m that is back fairly quickly actually after the u.s compared to how we four have been acting recently uh so mm-hmm. sixth season of that that is back um if you're wondering what's happening to gotham because that's the gotham time slot at the moment it's moving to 10 p.m from this week so uh agents of shield at nine gotham at 10 so that's a good evening's viewing and then crashing which is back for its third season on sky atlantic that's 27th of may at 11 p.m that's judd apatow back in the comedy following a sweet but potentially unlucky comedian as he crashes on the couches of some of new york's top comics after his marriage falls apart so uh, that's back for its third season on the 27th on sky atlantic and that's everything for this week unless you've got anything else you want to add or mention nope that's pretty much all that I've got to say just apart from obviously keep your eyes peeled on Hollywood 
news source and our YouTube page over the weekend. Yes. Uh, so we'll be getting up just like um, Dave. We'll be getting our con coverage up as soon as possible. Yes. And we'd love for you to see it. Yeah. So uh, Hollywood news source for that. And uh, also check out geektown.co.uk for that because we'll have stuff going up over the uh, week from MCM Comic Con. And I'll also have hopefully some stuff from the Good Omens premiere as well next week. So uh, that's stuff to look out for. You can also visit geektown.co.uk for all your air date information over the next week. Get in touch with your questions and comments by emailing us on podcast at geektown.co.uk. Leave a message on the website post. Find us at Geektown on Twitter on facebook.com forward slash Geektown. On YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Geektown where we'll have a lot of stuff going up over the uh, con and Instagram on Geektown UK and we'll have a lot of cosplay photos going up on there, I suspect, over the next week or so. So uh, go and check all that out. That's everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.